Hey there, everybody. This is Zach, and I'm chilling with Randy, and we are talking about, well, this is kind of our last uh, episode about the Apostles' Creed, right? Well, yeah, at least the last of the introductory ones. Okay. We may have to get back into some of these topics more deeply, depending on what people want. Right. I mean, as a whole, it's not like we've talked our way through the entirety of the Apostles' Creed anyways. We're just kind of covering the major non-controversial aspects the best we can, <laughs> I think, is how we have been looking at it. Um, we talked about the Father. We talked about the Son, which is Jesus. And we have talked about the Holy Spirit. Our kind of part two of the Holy Spirit, or I guess what the Holy Spirit has led us into, is the church. Yeah. Right. So with God and Jesus, we talked about the first episode of each was the names and then the nature. Names of God, nature of God. Names of Jesus, nature of Jesus. When you get to the Holy Spirit, there's one name, and that's it. Holy Spirit. Bingo. Right. End of story. So there's no sense really talking about the names. We talked more about what the Holy Spirit actually does. And this is kind of the second part of that because what he does today uh major, major uh, uh, focus of what he does is the church. Right. Because we are the church. That's right. Right. This also occurs in the Apostles' Creed. Uh, I believe in the Holy Spirit, period. I believe in, and the first thing is the church. What, but no, what church, though, Randy? The Holy Catholic. Uh, how is it? I believe in one Holy Catholic Church. Right. So, uh, you know, theologically, uh, the church's unity is represented there. The church's holiness as the representation of God on earth today, the body of Christ. Right. And then the Catholic in its original meaning, not in the meaning of a particular denomination or, or branch of Christendom that is uh, out there today. It's not the Roman Catholic Church, but Catholic in the sense of universal. Right. And and it's also not the universal church, Um, (laughs) which is also another another name, (laughs) which is where it gets really tricky. But yeah, Catholic is the entirety of Christianity. Yes, yes. It's... I've heard it called the Big C Church. Right, yeah. So the, the Big C. C Church, the capital C Church is is just the church in all of its expressions. The little C Church is your local church that you go to every right. Sunday. So. Right, right. That's your little gathering of people, the, yeah. the one you go to. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's solid. What do we want to start with hashing out about well, the church? Well, when we start talking about the church um, – Of course, the church happens in the New Testament. It doesn't actually happen in the Old Testament, but it kind of does. So in the New Testament, there is one word and only one word that's used for the church, and that's the word ecclesia. What that word means, it it comes from a, a Greek word kaleo to call and ek out of. It's the people who are called out. Uh, called out of the world in a sense, but also called out of normalcy to be Christ's body on earth. Sort of a, sort of like the word saint. Uh, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Being set apart, yeah. right? And a- absolutely, it's no surprise then that the word saint and the word church occurred together a lot to the saints of the church of Ephesus. It's the people who've been called out, the people who've been set aside, the people who are Christ's body in this particular place. Now, because there's a Greek word, we can actually look back in the Old Testament using the Septuagint, and we find that in the Old Testament, uh, in the Septuagint, the word ecclesia is used to translate um, kahal, uh, that is a Hebrew word that means assembly. Right. Uh, that's 
that is the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, think about it. The Greek word is ekklesia. Right. Ecclesiastes. Right. Those are the same words. Ecclesiastes is the Greek translation of the Hebrew name Kohelet. Kohelet is the name of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Kahal is uh, the first part of Kohelet. Uh, Hebrew language is based on uh, around 1,100 lemmas of three consonants each. And then you add vowels at certain places, uh, add certain prefixes or suffixes, and it changes uh, the meaning slightly, but it's all related back to that core meaning of the basic three-consonant lemma. The three-consonant lemma, kahal, means assembly. Kohelet is the person who speaks to the assembly. So it's commonly translated teacher or preacher. Right. In fact, you'll see some translations, some modern translations of the Bible. Hey. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is called The Preacher. Right, exactly. And before we jump too far ahead, you said we can use the Septuagint to do that. Do you want to give just a brief like understanding of what the Septuagint is? Yeah, good catch. Uh, the Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament that was done about 200 years before Christ. It's important to us because at times the Septuagint represents a text that is even more ancient than the text that we have today that we use to translate the Old Testament. So sometimes the Septuagint has a more original text mm. than the ones that, that we even have. The problem is you got to kind of reverse translate, go from Greek right. into Hebrew. And anytime you do that, you know, it's, it's guesswork. Right. right. But it is an important book. Sure. The early church used it a lot. Why? Because the lingua franca was, was Greek. Koine Greek and what's, what's lingua franca? Uh, the the um, French language, I think it means, or the <laughs> it's the mother tongue. Okay. Their mother tongue was Greek. Okay, so uh, they went back and used the Septuagint a lot. In fact, some of the quotes that we have in the New Testament come straight out of the Septuagint, word for word. So it's obvious that they had Septuagints that they could consult and used fairly frequently. Okay, gotcha. Um, this is fascinating to a Bible nerd, by the way. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, like, this is good information to have. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't know what the Septuagint was until I started working at a church. <laughs> so, there you go, like, yeah. yeah. Why I'm, would you? Why right. would you? Yeah. Well, I'm assuming there's plenty of people out there that have no idea what that is. Um, all right, so the, the church... Um, the, the the Catholic Church, it's the entirety of the church. Right, right. right. Um, and the church in its core means the assembly. It's, okay. it's the place where people come together. And the Greek word actually used means this assembly that has come together has been called together. Okay, so it's a group of people who have been kind of set apart, who have yeah. been called to a purpose. Great definition. Okay. So... If we are called to a purpose, what is our purpose? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, so what is the purpose of the church? There are uh, a number of different approaches. I was just reading through Thomas Oden, um, Life in the Spirit, and he takes a particular approach. I remember looking back at that in the past. I've actually used his approach in the past. I don't want to use his approach because it's more classical theology. Uh, uh, he uses Latin words, uh, quitus electorum and uh, communius sanctus, the, the community of the holy, the uh, fellowship, the, the assembly of the elect, and then uh, the body of Christ. So uh, those are three different ways of approaching the church. Um, it's true. I don't want to use that. I want to use a more popular division that looks at the church in terms of four Greek words, two that start with uh, the letter kappa, uh, which is the K sound, and two that start with the letter delta, the D sound. Uh, the kappa is koinonia and kerygma. Fellowship, 
and preaching. The D is diaconeo or duleo, both are Ds, and then dokeo or doxa, uh, service and worship. So you get four aspects of the purpose of the church. Uh, comes together to fellowship with each other, to preach, to serve both each other and the community that we live in, and to worship God. Kind of a succinct way of approaching the church. And and could you say the other three again? What are the first three other than worship? Koinonia. But, or just what, what they are exactly? Fellowship. Okay, so fellowship, service, and... Preaching. Preaching. Right, the word. Well, so the interesting thing to me is that worship being the last one, that when you do the other three, that is also considered worship to God. Yes, it is. Yes, so it is. worship is really kind of the all-encompassing one here. It, it takes everything in. Okay. Now, Jesus actually used the word church, but he only used it twice, both in the book of Matthew. And it's, we're not sure. <clears throat> First of all, Jesus is not speaking in Greek. He's probably speaking in Aramaic, which is very, very close to Hebrew. So he's probably talking about the kahal, the kohelet. But the first time he uses it, it is in Matthew chapter 16, when he says, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, uh, well, they all say they think you're the prophet that comes to present the Messiah. Jesus says, who do you think I am? Peter speaks for the whole group and says, we think you are the Messiah. And Jesus kind of goes through the roof, says, oh, yeah, you've been talking to God. You didn't hear this from men. But in the middle of what he says, he says, on this rock, I will build my church. Now, he probably doesn't use the Greek word ekklesia, but I think it's pretty obvious that he is talking about something that he intends to see happen. And that is, there's going to be an assembly. Once I've left, the disciples don't know any of this yet. Once I'm gone, you guys are going to gather together. I will build that gathering on this rock of what Peter has just said. I'm the Messiah. Okay. So <laughs> without trailing down a, a, a too deep a rabbit hole, I do think this is a time to mention where the Catholic denomination would differ from where we Protestants would on what that rock is. We are saying that rock is that Christ is the Messiah, right? That, Peter's declaration. That Christ is the rock. That right? is the traditional Protestant approach. Right. The Catholic approach would be that Peter is the rock. Because his name actually means rock. Rock, exactly. Jesus named him Rocky in essence. But also let us know that they're standing on a giant mountain at this point in time too. So there's lots of rocks in this story. There definitely like we, are. We, yep. we got to be careful about what rock we pick. Um, but right, okay. I just wanted to I just wanted to point that out that 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 is where those two things would differ. Now the second time he uses it is in chapter 18, verse 17, where he says, "Wherever wherever two or three gather together in my name, I'll be in the middle of them." And then he goes on to say, if the, 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 the person, it's interesting, we talk about that verse not realizing that it's in the context of church discipline. When two or three are gathered in my name, I will authenticate the discipline that they're about to affect on an errant brother or sister. So in verse 17, if the person still refuses to listen, take your case <laughs> to the church. Interesting. Take it to the larger assembly. I have never thought of it in that context. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah. There's so much stuff like that. We, we pull verses out of context and yeah. make them say something all nice and sweet. And, well, it makes uh, it sound like if there's two or three of us gathered together, we can do anything. 
Yeah. But it's really saying, hey, if there's two or three of you together and you're telling another brother or sister they're wrong, I, I got your back. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that even goes back to the Old Testament by two or three witnesses. Cases will be decided. Jesus is just saying, let the Old Testament play out. You need two or three of you who agree. Hmm. Okay. But there again, he uses the church. He's talking about the assembly. Is he talking about the church? Well, yes and no. Uh, He probably did not use the Greek word church, but he is talking about something that he intends to see develop. And that is his disciples coming together in an assembly and doing the kind of things that in the Old Testament, Israel as a nation was supposed to do. Okay. So you're saying he's taking Israel's original calling and taking this group of people and setting them aside and saying, this is your job now. And and that that can include Israel too. Sure, it can. Sure, it can. And that that is another, at least an hour long podcast. Uh, I believe that the church is the new Israel. The old Israel just threw away the covenant. God said, "Here's what I want you to do," and they said, "We are not interested in doing that." So He raises up a new people, and I believe that Romans nine to eleven. Paul says the new Israel is the church. Does that mean he's throwing the old Israel away? Absolutely not. He wants them to join the new Israel. He wants them to be a member of the church. And Paul uses himself as an example. What about me, he says. I was born an Israelite, and I'm a member of the church. Uh, Okay, yeah, without going down that rabbit hole, I just want to back that up by saying that's where, like, the the partial preterist view— on like revelation saying that they believe much of it has already happened they would say the olivet discourse is pointing to the judgment that israel would face when jesus says you know when you see the uh, abomination of desolation coming um flee that he's telling the christians flee and the christians did flee but israel was persecuted by rome and so they believe that that was god's final stamp of, okay, fine, you want to do that? Here you go. <laughs> You're telling me things that I didn't Isn't know. That interesting? And, and that makes perfect sense. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I am a what? A partial preterist? Partial preterist. Yep. Okay. Yeah, full blown preterist is just wonky. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll just be partial. They that, they think everything in Revelation already happened. <laughs> <laughs> the word church occurs another hundred and fifty times in the New Testament. And uh, they are split between uh, the book of Acts about 26 times, 93 times in Paul. It's interesting, the general epistles, Peter, James, uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, only six times there. But then coming back in the book of Revelation, another 22 times. So add them all together, you get 150 times. And it makes sense that between the book of Acts and Paul's epistles, they're the first letters being written to the church and the history of the early church. The word church occurs there a lot. That's interesting. Um, Okay. So in the book of Acts, early on, and this I mean really, really early on, um, in Acts chapter 1, the... uh, the disciples kind of mess around and uh, get things started down a wrong path. They uh, say, okay, there's supposed to be 12 of us, and Judas committed suicide. Let's name another one. Chapter 1 deals with... Renaming, finding a new guy. Finding the new guy, and they do, and you never hear from them again. (laughs) Okay, uh, but something I've wondered about is you do hear, like, before, I think it's before... Paul kind of joins the gang. Like in chapter three, they refer to the 12. So is that him? That's him. That's the new guy? That's the new guy. Okay. All right. But then I just don't, I don't know where he falls off the wagon eventually. Or if he does. He's just never mentioned again. I don't think he necessarily fell off the wagon. It's just that God had a different choice. Sure. That was Paul. 
and he didn't actually get counted as one of the 12, but he sure is an apostle, wrote uh, over a quarter of the New Testament. So, you know, there's got to be something said for that. So we come to chapter 2. You have the Holy Spirit that comes in the first couple of verses. Very obviously, this is a movement of God. Almost immediately, Peter stands up. He begins to preach. And the bulk of chapter 2 is Peter's sermon. But look what Luke says in verse 41. After Peter's sermon, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Now, this is the first time the church is mentioned outside of Jesus' word, and it's already like an established group. And immediately after that, verses 42 to 47, now remember what I said, um, fellowship, preaching, service, and worship. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, after the first use of the word church, saying that 3,000 were added to the church. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, there's kerygma, and to fellowship, there's koinonia, and to sharing in meals, there's service, and in prayer. Deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, All the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So as soon as Luke says, this is the church, he says, fellowship, teaching, service, and worship. I think that's fantastic. He just sort of lays it all out there. He but gives a great introduction to what the church is. It's the four you mentioned. The other one, though, that I thought was interesting is prayer was kind of mentioned as its own thing. I wonder... I don't wonder. I'm I'm convinced the early church had a depth of prayer that we don't have today. I don't think we really understand prayer today. I don't think I understand prayer today. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you in that. Um, I think I still <laughs> like I I get awkward praying sometimes. Um, depending on the circumstance. When it's with people I, I know think like me, it's easy, you know. But, like, there's other times when I'm like, ooh, should I pray right now? You know, like, I, I don't know. It's it, it, there's, there's more to it than we tend to recognize. I, I've kind of gotten over my awkwardness in praying. If uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, if I'm with somebody that I know and I know likes me, um, I have no trouble praying. If I'm with somebody who's not a Christian, I'll always ask, hey, I'd like to pray for you. Do you mind if I pray for you? Right. And if they say no, usually I'll say, well, that's okay. I'll I'll pray for you. just won't pray right now. But if they say yes, I will pray and it will be short, sweet, and to the point. I'll Basically, just have a conversation with Jesus and say, hey, I'm here with my friend. This is what he or she is looking for. I want to pray that you would uh, meet that need. Thank you. Amen. And and just move on. And I have yet, first of all, I have, I have yet to have anybody say, no, don't pray for me. And almost always, if not absolutely always, I hear people say, thank you. I appreciate that. And, and it's genuine. It's not It's not made up. Yeah. So. No, I, I think back to uh, – I, I was in college uh, 
<laughs> majoring in drinking and partying. <laughs> and um, uh, I went to a uh, crew meeting. Okay. And um, I doubt the guy would even remember me, but, like, it impacted me at that point in time. Um, he just prayed for me, like, with me. His name's uh, Chris Mack. He's a Christian rapper now. Um, I don't know if he's still Whoa. doing that, but he's really good. He's great. Um, but he, uh, yeah, we just prayed together and I was just like really weirded out and it was like exactly what I needed all at the same time. But there's, <laughs> there is a power in there praying together. Is. There definitely is. And there's definitely a recognition that, Hey, what we're doing here, it's not about us. Right. Right. That's why we're praying. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So fellowship, why don't we look at each one of these kind of separately and and maybe dig a little bit deeper in each one fellowship um you know there are all kinds of places that we could go to and talk about fellowship but i want to go to a place that we wouldn't necessarily go and that's the book of colossians chapter two paul says i want you to know how much i have agonized for you in the church at laodicea for many other believers who've never met me personally, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. Now that's fellowship. That's what Paul is praying for them, to be knit together by strong ties of love. There is something about the church, fellowship, when we come together that it's just different. Uh, being with a, a Christian brother that you worship with on a regular basis. There's just a closeness there, a fellowship that can develop. That It's hard to uh, describe it. You have to experience it. I think part of it is, you know, like biological family. You're born with it. Um, you grow up with it. There's almost like... <laughs> Feels like these people love me because they're kind of obligated to, right? They have no choice. <laughs> exactly. But like when when you're worshiping with Christian brothers and sisters, and you're and you're just together and just living life together, loving each other, like it's all one hundred percent optional. Like they're just choosing to, and I think there's something powerful about that. There's something incredibly powerful about that. Now. We're we're living in a day when uh, many churches have not met for a period of time. Now we're starting to come back together, but we're seeing in general that people are reluctant to come back together because of fears related to COVID. So that kind of brings um, a point to the idea of fellowship. We provide online services as a church, as most churches right now are doing. They live stream their morning messages. Uh, Here at New Hope, we live stream podcasts. We live stream, or not live stream, but uh, we we provide digital uh, pre-recorded devotionals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all of these are useful tools for us to be able to grow in the Lord. But the one thing that they don't necessarily provide is fellowship. Now, we believe that a person can attend our live live stream service and still have fellowship, but what they can't do is just click on their computer, their phone, or their TV on Sunday morning, watch an hour-long service, click it off, and say, well, I've had fellowship. Now, they heard a message, they heard some people singing, but fellowship means interaction. Right. Uh, I, I do, <laughs> I, I don't think that digital interaction is equivalent to human interaction either. It uh, is certainly different, Now I don't want to downplay it and say that it's lesser, but it's harder to have real interaction digitally. For me, it right, is. Right, right. I, I think, um, I don't know. 
I just feel like, you know, if I was locked in a room for a year and all I could do was Zoom call people, like, it'd be nice being able to see them. But for me personally, if I can't physically see you, like, there, it's harder for me to process that it's real. It just feels like I'm watching TV or something when I'm yeah. sitting on a Zoom call. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, believe me, I know what you mean. <laughs> I, I lived in Latin America for 17 years, and it's a touchy culture. And by that, I don't mean that they get their nose out of joint. I mean they reach out and touch you. Right. Um, you know, hugs and handshakes. And and when two people are talking, during the conversation, one will just reach out and touch the other person's arm and take it back. And it is actually part of the conversation. And it kind of means I'm here. I'm I'm with you. I'm engaged. That's really nice, though. Like, I like that a lot. Well, I got in trouble when we first started meeting again after COVID. Um, I'll, I'll call him out. I had Bob come up to me and say, Randy, you can't be hugging people and shaking their hands. But I hadn't seen them for four months. And I guess the Colombian in me was coming out. And I was, I was wanting to hug and I was wanting to shake and touch and i had to learn not to do that yeah that's funny <laughs> i was making people uncomfortable as they were coming back you were literally smothering them with your love i was i was <laughs> yeah okay so uh that was fellowship right yeah yeah so so preaching now we talked about that a little bit in the book of acts just a couple of chapters later acts chapter four Peter actually stands up and he gives another sermon. And at the end of that sermon, come to chapter 4 and verse uh, 31. This time, I think there are 5,000 people who come to the Lord. Verse 31, the disciples pray. There's prayer again, Zach. I think you're absolutely right. Maybe prayer is in right in the middle of all of those five things, just sort of (laughs) gluing everything together. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with boldness. All the believers were united in heart and mind. They felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything that they had. And the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. Then he goes on, but it's interesting that what Luke focuses on is the preaching and the testimony of the Lord's resurrection. Now, today, uh, in addition to the fellowship which takes place in any church, um, what was it that Jason said to us a while back, you can't out fellowship the local church or you can't out oh what did he say digital church is good for some things uh i'm texting him hold on keep talking (laughs) okay yeah let's get it from the horse's mouth uh but uh yeah that, that that quote was just beautiful and it's it's uh it says so much but the idea is you cannot uh was it, you can't out-local the local church? I think that's what it is. You can't out-local the local church. Yeah. You can't out-friend the local church. Uh, you come together, and these connections are there. The second thing, then, that the Book of Acts focuses on is the way that unified, united body of believers preaches about Jesus. And there are kind of two aspects to that. There are kind of two aspects to the fellowship. One of those is internal. We come together and we have a sermon. And the purpose of this sermon primarily is not evangelistic. We're not trying to get people to follow Jesus. We're assuming that they do. Now, every once in a while, we will have an evangelistic sermon because we realize that not everybody who attends the local church uh, are actually followers of Jesus. So we want to give them the chance to do that. But primarily, we're looking at teaching discipleship, 
helping people grow in their walk with the Lord. But there is also a preaching outside the local church. That's kind of what this podcast is all about. Uh, We call it apologetics. It's being prepared to share our faith in a meaningful way in the middle of a culture that does not naturally accept what we say. Have, Have a defense prepared for your faith. Right. 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 So that's the kerygma. That's that's the preaching. And that includes a knowledge of Scripture, but it also includes a knowledge of what's going on around us. If we don't have a good, solid knowledge of both current events and current culture, uh, we are not well-equipped to be able to share our faith. Right, right. You've got to know the world around you to know how to talk to the world around you, right? But you've also got to know the Bible (laughs) in order to know what the truth is versus what you're seeing around you. And be able to relate the Bible to the world around us. Right. We kind of stand as a bridge between the world that we live in and the world that Jesus lived in Mm -hmm. and Moses and, you know, all of the other guys in the Bible. Um, We want to translate that to the world that we live in because we believe that what was true then continues being true today. Sure. Humanity doesn't change. I mean, not at the core. People don't change. No. Times change. Technology changes. The things around us change. But people, their wants, their desires, who they are, their fears, those things don't change. That's that's the thing that blows me away about the Bible. I, I read about Abraham, and I think of a guy in a robe. I don't wear a robe. I think of a guy in sandals all day long. I don't wear sandals. I think of a guy with a walking stick, and I don't carry a walking stick. What Abraham does is just what I do. I screw up just as badly as Abraham right. does. Right. And, and Abraham literally face-to-face like why? Yeah, face to face, new God, right? Yeah, he spoke yeah, to him, yeah. uh, and still Messed screwed up. up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, we we are just like him in so many ways. All those people. Service. We're getting into the D's. That was kerygma and koinonia, fellowship and preaching. Now we're going to get into service. That's doulos. And uh, diakonos, or duleo and diakoneo, uh, the verb forms. And both of those mean serve. One is serve as a uh, journeyman, as a person that earns a wage. The other is to be a slave. And it is interesting. Jesus identified himself as both a servant and a slave. And the New Testament authors identified themselves as servants and slaves. That was Paul's preferred way of introducing himself at the beginning of any of his letters. I, Paul, the slave of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and speaks not like a slave, but like one with authority. Right. And in fact, demands his authority right. at times. Because it's better to be a slave to Christ than free without him, well, or to think you're free without him. That's right. That's <laughs> right. So we have, uh, again in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6, as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. One of the things that the early church did was it cared for the widows, as the Old Testament says they were to do. So some of this money that was being brought to them they used to buy food, and then they would distribute it to the widows. Now, the Greek-speaking, the Hellenistic, uh, probably not the widows, probably their sons, <laughs> right. were saying, Mom didn't get the amount of food that right. uh, she got, and she's Hebrew-speaking, Mom's Greek-speaking. What's up with that? <laughs> Now, it's interesting that Peter, speaking for the Twelve, says uh, we apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. So, brothers, 
select seven men who are well-respected and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We'll give them this responsibility. And that's what they do. And they elect seven men. And I love the names. Stephanos, Philippos, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. They're all Greek names. Right. You guys brought the brought the issue. You guys solve it. Right. They handed the food program over to the Greek speaking people who were complaining, and it worked. Well, I, I literally just had to write a, a paper on this yesterday, which is why this is hilarious that this is where we're at. But um, they're, they're sharing their leadership, and yeah. they're sharing it with Gentiles. They are. Right. They are. Right. Now, a lot of these are either Jewish proselytes or they were Jews that were born in Gentile territory, like Paul. Right. Right. But at the end of that passage, God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. And many of the Jewish priests were converted to. So the expansion of the gospel is multiplied after they share their leadership and after uh, they look at this group that was complaining and said, you got the complaint, you got the solution. Go fix it. And actually expose themselves to danger because the pendulum could have swung and maybe the Greek widows get more food. Right. And the disciples, the, the Hebrew-speaking disciples said, we're willing to accept that risk. Right. And then to to bring it back full circle is – this leadership that they're expressing is servant leadership. It's not like right. I'm your leader. Listen to me. It's I'm your leader. Now let me make sure you get the food you need. You know, mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's really cool. And of course, we go all the way back to Jesus. Uh, Jesus identified himself primarily as a servant. Uh, what is it? He says to his disciples, "I I didn't come to be served, but to serve." Right. And. John chapter 13, he comes in, he starts the last teaching segment, four chapters in the book of John that he's going to give his disciples, and he starts by washing their feet, by performing the task of a slave. Right. Amazing. Or that the the greatest in the kingdom of God is the least of these kind of concepts. That's right. right. Um, Something else, though, uh, just to clarify, this part in Acts, this is where we get the idea for like... Elders and deacons, right? Like that distinction? Actually, I think elders and deacons comes from uh, Paul, uh, First and Second Timothy primarily. Oh, okay. Where he actually names offices, and one is called the overseer or the bishop. That's right. One is called elder or presbyteros. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. 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 Okay. So it was. Just, I just knew it was a similar kind of context because very similar. Select among you seven men that are exactly you know filled with the spirit. And these guys are actually called uh, diaconos servants uh, here in this passage. And uh, Stephen, the first one named, uh, becomes the first apologist who ends up paying with his life. A martyr. Yeah. 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 Now, here again, we mentioned that fellowship and preaching, it's done internally, it's done externally as well. The same thing with uh, diaconos. We serve each other inside the church, but our service is not limited to each other. And that kind of comes out here at the end of this passage in, in chapter 6, when it says a great many of the Jewish priests were converted to they saw what was going on, and they said, oh, that's that's good. That's good. And they began to listen because they weren't seeing the same thing in their own ministries. Right. Apparently. That's me reading into it. But uh, it makes perfect sense to me. Sure. So we serve inside the church. We serve outside the church. We look for ways to be engaged with those who are around us in meaningful ways that will show Jesus's love to them. Okay. And um I mean that's that's why we do a lot of what we do, right? I mean um for instance here at at New Hope we started the the uh love more fund. Um 
we it's been really hard to get out and be kind of hands on though with service i've noticed yeah, through yeah, yeah. covid well with covid yeah a lot of the things that we were doing we've in the past we've done a church has left the building in the past we've had volunteers come in and help us with our children a whole program right and all of that is kind of on hold. Well, it feels right weird, now. too. It does. Because like, I, I was getting ready to be like, yeah, all these things we – oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really hard right now. All these things that we want to be doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. But the day is coming, and uh, we will be back doing them. Um, and there are others in the church that are even doing it now. It's it's just kind of limiting the scope of what we're doing. We we can't do as much of it as we have in the past. Right. Something else too to to maybe mention is to serve or to preach. Um you don't have to be with other members of the body when you do that sort of thing. Um you don't like it's not like, oh, yeah, I really want to serve, but the church isn't doing anything, so that means I can't go over and fix my neighbor's faucet. You know, like, it's, there's, you, when you can you do, do this the on church your own. is actually doing that because exactly. you are the church. Exactly. And that's why we have to be really careful to remember that church is not the building and church right. is not the people when they're in the building. It's, they're the people when they're at work. It's the people when they're at home with their kids. You know, it's all the time. The last uh, element is worship. And uh, there's a great little passage in uh, the book of Ephesians. Um, Ephesians chapter 5. Let me read the the longer passage. uh, Starting in verse 15, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine. That will ruin your life. Instead, and here it is, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That passage just screams worship to me. Yeah. And it's not in the context of what they do when they gather together, but in the context of what they do every single day, every moment of their life. It's your your life reflects worship. It does. It does. It's uh, – I'll never – Dave Ward, when he was here, did a sermon in which he referenced Brother Lawrence. I believe it's Brother Lawrence. Um, and how he would make pancakes for the other monks. And with each flip of the pancake, he was doing it for God. He was doing it like he was dedicating each each moment of his his job, basically, to I'm going to honor God with this pancake yeah. <laughs> that I'm making for yeah. this guy. Yeah. You yeah. know, and like that's such a small thing, but it's not. Like it's it, – that shows just how entwined that guy's mind was with everything I do. I want to do it to, to worship Jesus. Who would have thunk that flipping a pancake can be an act of worship? But it is when it's done in the right attitude, exactly. the right spirit. Exactly. Which, which I think what you just said is the key though. It's your attitude. It's your yeah. spirit. Yeah. It's why am I doing this? Because on the flip side of it, Jesus looked at the Pharisees who lived their lives every day for the religion. But he looked at them and said, you're dead on the inside. Yeah. You are, you're tombs. You're, you're filled with dead men's bones. Tombs. Yeah. You yeah. look pretty on the outside, but everything on the inside is death. And so it doesn't matter if you're doing the right thing, if you're just doing it to glorify yourself. Right. There's no, That's not worship. That's right. That's right. So fellowship, preaching, service, worship, prayer. That's the church. That's the church. Well, that's our job. That's what we're to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Each one of those, uh, the Spirit brings enabling. 
um, I've wondered sometimes, how can I get so close to people that aren't my own family? And I, I think the Spirit has something to say about that. Uh, I, I wonder, how can this message about a 2,000-year-old book uh, speak to us today? And yet it does. Uh, Every day. The Spirit has something to do with that. Why is washing a car, why is shoveling uh, snow off of somebody's driveway so meaningful? Mm-hmm. The Spirit prompts, and it happens at the right time. Why is singing a song? Why is flipping a pancake? Uh, how does that communicate worship? Well, there again, the Spirit. Um The church is the spirit in action, the spirit in us, moving us to do the kind of things that he has called us to do as a church. Right. We we are the hands and feet of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We each have a function. And I think I think that's that's another way of summing up the church is we we've each got a part to play. None of those parts look the same. Um Maybe one thing does something similar than, or one person does something similar than, uh, than that of another person, or different than that of another person. But it all cohesively works together for the better good of the church. Yeah. Cool. Very good. I think we did it. Okay. Excellent. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to Salty Saints podcast. If you've got questions, uh, hit us up at salty saints at becomehope.com. Um, let us know any questions you've got. Um, we've actually, we've got a couple questions in, I think, and we're going to tackle one of those on the next podcast. I believe so. Um, but yeah, if you've got anything you want to know about, let us know, uh, give us a like, give us a comment, uh, follow uh, whatever the format you're listening on allows go for it but please be nice um (laughs) and uh, stay salty once in a generation a podcast comes along with the power and eloquence to inspire us all this show will entertain you while you wait for that one Join two best friends, author and former history teacher John Driver and comedian Johnny W. for hilarious and authentic conversations about life, history, culture, faith, and everything in between. You can listen to Talk About That wherever you find your podcasts or at lifeaudio.com. 